Well, hello again, church. I feel we are gathered again at our dining room table. I'm glad you could all come. I, I do look forward to the time when we'll be able to be together, all together as church family again. But uh, for, for now, it is, it is good to, to come home to home, uh, the, the, the church in your house online. I'm looking forward to hearing in a couple of weeks that we can also hopefully have uh, uh, churches, church groups gathered together in each of our own homes as we move into phase two here in Clark County. So looking forward to that. If you want more information about how you could be part of a small group and actually be in person face to face, six feet away from with, with others gathered together, then please um, send me an email, bcarlson at bpchurch.com. We'd love to include you in one of those groups, help you, help you get started. We're going to open God's Word, and I'm going to ask Pastor Ryan and his wife Jill to read for us Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, the book of Colossians, chapter 1, begins describing who Jesus is and what he's done for us. In verse 20, it says that we are now reconciled to God through Christ's death for us. Colossians chapter 2 builds on that, describes how we've been given a new life in Jesus, a whole new outlook. It changes our thinking, it changes our perspective, but it particularly changes our identity. That we have been buried with Jesus in his death for us, and we have been raised up in Jesus to a new life by faith, by believing in the powerful working of God. We have been made new and given new life in order to be new and to live new. Then Colossians 3 takes that further into application. What do we do with that? How do we live that out? Colossians chapter 3 begins with a wonderful verse that says, If you are then risen with Christ, and it's assuming that you are, as you believe in Jesus, you have been risen with him, then... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is at the right hand of God. Now, you may be feeling like, well, I can't seek things that are above. I'm grounded here at home. It's like the old meme says, it's it's hard to soar with wings of eagles when I'm cooped up with these turkeys. Well, still for us to live new, it works at home too. This is a good training ground for us, perhaps. After two months of stay-at-home, there's probably starting to feel a little crowded for some of us. Or maybe it's feeling a little lonely, and that's putting on its own stress. You might have a whole family at home together, and it seems like there's got to be at least a dozen kids running around here. Or it might be just the two of you. At times, you might be getting on each other's nerves. After two months of this, the fuse might be getting a little short. So, I thought it would be good to talk today about love in close quarters. Love in close quarters. How do we live out who we are when who others are keeps bumping into us? 
In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17, we're going to see what love in close quarters both looks like in the first several verses, and then how do we grow it? How is it nurtured in the following verses? Love in close quarters. When we're in a time of increased tensions, we often experience tensions in the home. Someone has said that those that you're closest to are the ones that you're meanest to. Now, that's not right, but that's what happens. This might be because we're more comfortable and thus we're less careful around those that we're closest to. We easily react by default instead of intentionally thinking, what is the best way for me to respond? So misunderstandings, increased tensions can come from not giving others the benefit of the doubt. We might assume the worst out of something that they say or do, and that could be driven even by our own insecurities, not actually from them at all. We might think in our own minds, they're probably thinking this about me because we might be thinking that way about ourselves. So Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 begins with a place of solid security, security in who we are. The paragraph begins this way, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, or the NIV translates it, holy and dearly loved, we are God's own. This declaration of security is restating what Colossians chapter 1 and 2 have already made clear, that who we have been made in Jesus, we are God's own. In verses 9 and 10 of this third chapter, we're reminded that we have put off an old, fallen identity which we had in Adam, which we were born into. And in its place, we have been born again into a new identity. We're to take on and put on this new identity in the new man or the new humanity which comes from our risen and heavenly Savior, Jesus. We now are to live out, not the fallen identity, but our new heavenly identity in Christ. So verses 12 and following are a description of what it is for those who are risen in Christ to seek those things which are above. Now, these things that are above, these are not mansions or streets of gold or even a finely tuned harp. They are the things that are characteristic of the new humanity that we've been made to be. This is the personality of heaven. These are the traits of the redeemed. This is God's family resemblance, a heavenly life lived out in an earthly shell. If we are citizens of heaven, what do the people of heaven look like? Or, or maybe better, what do a people of heaven live like? These descriptors of our new identity come in three groups or pairs. Let's call them couplets for couples. Those three, those three pairs, those three groupings are a compassionate kindness, a gentle humility, and patiently forbearing and forgiving. Let's talk about each one of them a little. Compassion. Compassion is a merciful pity and care for one in need. It acts out of affection. In the Greek Old Testament, the same word is frequently used of the Lord's graceful and merciful, loving inclination toward His own people. How God feels and thus what He does for them. Now, if it's, if it's used so much of God concerning His own people, it makes sense that we would live out godly compassion among our own people right here at home, even before we would live it out to others. Now, compassion is coupled with kindness. 
Kindness is a generous good. This is practically lived out in the little acts and the thoughtful words. It could be doing that little thing that you know the other would like, would appreciate. It's a special treat, like when Julie brings me a donut home from Safeway. It's finding something kind to say, some characteristic to compliment. Now men, a little help here. It's good that you're physically attracted to your wife, and she needs to hear that. But don't limit your kind words to how she looks. Build her up concerning her character. Wives, by your words, point out those things that you respect and honor and admire in your husband. That'll strengthen him. Parents, nurture your children with words of praise. It's easy to catch them doing something wrong. Catch them doing things right. Point it out to them. And they will flourish under that appreciation. The next pair is humility and gentleness. Humility is not necessarily thinking less of yourself. Rather, it's thinking of yourself, well, less. It's not thinking too highly of yourself. It's not thinking so much of yourself all the time. First of all, a godly humility can let go of my own insecurities because I freely confess that in myself, I'm not enough. But in Jesus, I am fully accepted, received, honored. In Jesus, I belong and am beloved. I'm seen and I see myself through the lens of God's purposes rather than my own imperfections. I don't need to protect my position or my standing. Jesus has that covered for me. But, and speaking of Jesus and his humility, if King Jesus could wash feet, then there's plenty of room for me to bow the knee. One of our men shared a time in our Bible study, a, a, a time when, when he got angry with his kids. He felt that his position as dad was not being rightly respected. Now, children should honor their parents. It's a way that they practice honor toward God. And yet, our anger will likely lead to fear rather than respect. Punishment should never be done in anger, because anger will too often seek to vindicate ourselves rather than rationally, rightly correct or assist another. Closely related to humility, gentleness is listed next. Gentleness or meekness, which can be practiced toward children, but also toward one another as adults. Meekness is a wise gentleness, power restrained, strength and authority under control. One of the premier examples in the Bible is when Moses is criticized in Numbers chapter 12. He's criticized by his brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron. It, it has something to do with his marriage, the woman, the woman he married, and apparently his leadership as well there seems to be some jealousy involved. Yep, family drama in the Bible. Who knew? Well, Moses doesn't defend himself. The story instead says that Moses was the meekest man who ever lived. Now, I think of some of the encounters of Moses, and he was a little reluctant at first in Exodus 3, but this is a man who stood up in the hour and continued for 40 years. No, Moses was not a pushover. But he said to be the meekest man who ever lived, he exercised great strength and restraint, trusting himself to God. And God himself shows up and defends Moses' honor. You see, honor is never claimed for oneself. Honor is only given or bestowed to us by another who has it. Let the Lord be the one who honors you. I can tell you this, the Lord honors humility. Why? It reminds him of his son, Jesus. Jesus didn't hold on to his position, but he humbled himself for us. 
Let's live in that, a little more toward one another in our homes. If you want honor, then humble yourself in honoring others. Romans 12.10 says to excel, to outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Peter says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will honor you, exalt you in due time. Now the last pair is one term expanded by two. He says, and put on patience. Patience is long-suffering. Patience is the enduring under a press, a weight, something that's uncomfortable, and yet continuing under it. It's giving time to others or taking time before rushing to a response. It's not pressing for a result right away. I won't go into all the grammar involved. You're welcome. But, but patience seems to be expanded by these two participles that follow, bearing with and forgiving one another. That's why I pull this together as patiently bearing with and forgiving. Bearing with one another refers to something that is it's not really somebody's wrong. It's not that they've, they're sinning. It might be simply a personal tendency that's an irritant. This is something that gets on your nerves. It may be that it annoys you, not because it's especially annoying, but because of your own sensitivity. Maybe the problem's really with you. But to put it bluntly, bearing with one another says, I accept you, warts and snorts and all. Forgiving each other is slightly different. Forgiving does refer to a wrong done, but a wrong which is released. I no longer hold this against you. I no longer require any payment from you for this. We are to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. Think about that for a moment. All that you know that you yourself are guilty of. And yet God has said, My son Jesus, his death for you was enough. I no longer, because of your faith in Jesus, I no longer require any other payment from you for this. You are forgiven. You know, when we forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us, it's, it's an opportunity for us to personally experience the richness of what it is to be forgiven. Extending forgiveness, we taste the joy of forgiveness. We get something of God's own heart there. This section closes with an instruction to put on love which binds all of these together in a perfect unity and an authentic whole. To live in all of these by love is the ultimate goal. Maybe the best way to think of this is the way to love one another in close quarters is to exercise compassionate kindness in gentle humility while patiently bearing with and forgiving one another. Coming at it from another direction, in our new life in Jesus, selfishness and inconsideration, pride and judging, resentment and impatience have no more place than wearing flannel at the beach. Let me give a, a couple of examples. A family member or a friend, somebody you know, is not taking the stay-at-home order seriously enough. They are out visiting others. They don't wear a mask. They're shopping, just window shopping and browsing. They're not having something urgent that they have to go out for. And you're frustrated because they don't seem to care if they're exposing you or others. You're, you're afraid that their non-compliance endangers others and will only extend the stay-at-home order for all of us. But 
Are you also able to, to show some compassion, have some empathy for their plight? Some people emotionally need social interaction more than others. This is interesting because often in a husband-wife relationship, one of them is much more the extrovert, the other is more the introvert. That's often the case. One of you probably needs more social interaction with others than the other. Without it, some people actually could be in serious danger themselves. In an extreme scenario, think of a person with depression or addictions who needs the in-present support of others. COVID-19 is not the only danger we face today. Doctors are starting to, to um, raise the alarm more and more of the other needs and even emotional needs that people have in this kind, kind of time of a long isolation. Humility and meekness suggest a hesitancy to impose our own judgments on others. If they're being insensitive or inconsiderate, can you bear with that imperfection? Are you able to forgive them or will you harbor resentment and bitterness? Let me give another example. Let's say your spouse, someone else close to you, believes that you and others should take these precautions much more seriously than you do. Are you able to empathize with their fears and concerns? Or do you just blow them off? Do you try to just argue their fears away? Can you express kindness by doing something that helps them to feel a little less threatened, a little safer? Are you willing, in gentle humility, to forgo your own rights of personal freedom for their sake? Can you accept that their fear is not a wrong needing forgiveness or for th that they need to correct, but maybe it's something for you to understand, to bear with, and maybe to help them through? Now, these characteristics, gentle humility, compassionate kindness, patiently bearing with and forgiving, they are not just a string of behaviors that we're supposed to add if we claim to be Christians. Do more. Try harder. No, these are a likeness of God's family. These are the things that are seen in Christians. They're the fruit of the Spirit. But how do we cultivate and enhance that fruit? When it comes to gardening, my technique is not the best. I'll admit I'm kind of a stick it in the ground and let it grow. We'll give it some water from time to time, but the water just falls out of the sky here, so that's normally not a problem. Now, things do grow that way, but they grow even better if you cultivate them. If you properly care for and nurture the plant, give it all that it needs in the right times, in the right measure. So, how then do we cultivate this fruit in your family? especially while we're pressed so close together in the greenhouse. How do you cultivate love in close quarters? Now we can turn to verses 15 to 17. And it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. First of all, to cultivate these things, practice peace. Peace rules in our hearts when we pray and leave our anxieties in God's capable hands. Philippians chapter 4 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by, with prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There it is. You will find there is less stress and tension in your home when there is less anxiety and stress in your own heart because you have given that issue to God. It's easier to extend grace to others when you yourself are trusting God's grace and compassion to care for you. 
and he will. It, it, it moves on from there in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful. Yes, express thanks to God. That's also in the Philippians verse I read. And be careful to express thanks to one another. In fact, thanks to God is, ex is especially mentioned in verse 17. So it seems here in verse 15, this thanks is probably to those who are joined together in one body. We too easily seem to take for granted those that we are most grateful for. William Hendrickson says, Gratitude makes for peace and excellent public relations. Remember to say thank you for little everyday things. And certainly, when someone does something particularly compassionate, kind, forgiving, forbearing, notice, celebrate it with a thank you. Verse 16 says, And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. I love that adjective, richly or abundantly. It's like chocolate syrup on ice cream. It's hard to get too much. If you skip your breakfast, your stomach growls at you. If you skip your Bible, your spirit growls at others. The old adage, skip your Bible one day and you'll know. Skip your Bible for a couple days and those who are close to you will know. Skip your Bible for a week and everybody around you will know something is different. Something is, something's gone off. We need the Word of God to, to, uh, to dwell in us richly so that it can overflow out of us to others. And verse 16 says also, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Let God's Word dwell in you richly and let it flow out of you in song. Turn on the music in your home. Or just tune up your voice. Let it be normal to sing in your home. I love singing songs, both serious and silly, with our kids. You know, one of my happiest memories is going on a hike when the kids were a bit older. And a couple of them started singing a song, The Lord Knows the Way Through the Wilderness. A song that we used to sing on the trails when they were much younger. You could say that blessed my heart. You could say that singing set a tone in the home. And it stuck with our kids years later. Finally, in verse 17. Verse 17, it says, And whatever you do in word or deed, all of these things as you practice them, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. You see, these things, the practicing of kind compassion, of gentle humility, of patient forgiveness, these are done in Jesus' name as grateful worship to God himself. For our family and our church family, they are God's family. And if we can't worship in family, we're not really worshiping anywhere. So, in your new life following Jesus, live out his life by loving in close quarters. Compassionate kindness in a, in a gracious and gentle humility, in a patient forbearance and forgiveness. Because those who are close to you, and especially our Lord himself, he is worth it. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Lord, we want to live out that which you have made us and called us to be. You have, you have given us your spirit. You have given us new life in Jesus. You have raised us up and seated us with you. And you invite us. No, you urge us, you call us 
to live in our new humanity, to live in the likeness of heaven in these particular ways. God, help us to do it. Help us to yield our will to yours, to practice humility there first of all, and saying, Father, I want to cultivate these things. Lord, give our hearts to it. Help us by your Spirit when we are weak. Give us a, a, a mind of forgiveness toward one another, even, even to ourselves. Lord, uh, fill us with your compassion that is inclined and acts toward your own people, especially in our own families. Father, do this work within us that you would be glorified through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.